Awesome. Well, here we go. Uh, week four of our series called I Do, and we are talking about marriage and looking into the meaning of it and the why and how we've been actually flipping it a little bit and showing us how even if you never plan to be married, that understanding of what marriage is and the picture of it and how God gave it to us as we believe and uh, how that impacts us in all walks of life is, is critical. And so it's, it's important to know that and we're going to continue this today. And uh, in, in around this time of year, we're, we're also engaging in many classes. We have a, a newlyweds class going on right now. And then next month, I'm starting a, a engaged couples class starting in March 10th that you're invited into. And it's on our events page. And you can let us know about that if you're interested. Um, and then next Sunday will be our uh, monthly parenting conversations for those with young kids or elementary age children. Uh, we're doing that once a month before the service, so there's just ways we love to engage with you. Uh, <clears throat> but it's not just about families or those in a marriage or about to be. Or uh, Marriage is something that God has given us, but he showed us as a picture of Christ and the church. And it impacts all of our relationships. And so here are some of the things we've talked about. One is uh, in marriage we have beauty. And it all goes back to the beauty that God made us for. And so we can put this slide up how he's called us to be one and to unity and experience beauty. And he made us for that. And there's something in you and I that calls us to some moral standard that we know that is right. And we long for things to get back to that. And it's this beauty. And God made us for that. And there's, a, there's brokenness that we brought into the world and, we, and so it, it causes us to not trust God's goodness for us and his beauty. But he's calling us back to that. And he did that by, by having a sacrificial love for us. And so marriage is, is a call to unity and to the beauty and to love one another as Christ loved us. And when we sacrifice for one another, it brings about re redemption and it restores and, and that is why Christ came. And so the picture of Christ in the church that he gave up himself for us, and we submit to him, and it brings about unity. And so marriage is ultimately a picture of Christ and the church. God gave it to us in the beginning as a picture of his beauty and unity. But we walked away from that, but he didn't walk away from us and pursued us and loved us and brought us back into himself to make us clean. And so we, that is what marriage is. And so it impacts all of our relationships as we learn to love one another in friendships, uh, in, 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 with our parents, so familial love or relationship love, all those different things. We're, we're called to love like that. And it's how we respond as a church family. That he's called us to be a, a church, a body, a gathering together, and we love him. And so it's the words that we sing even today of what a Savior he is, God really loves us, and we stand on this foundation as we love him. And so Christ came to us, and this is the next slide, and he made a covenant relationship with us. And even though we walked away, he never did. And so marriage is, is, is created to be in a committed, a covenant relationship with one another. But we've broken that. We have broken relationships. And if you engage in a relationship you're going to hurt one another, whether it's friendship, marriage, or whatever it may be. And so there's a divide that comes in between us. 
And this is in all of our relationships and with our relationship with God. And we feel that. And many of us, you might be angry today with God and you're struggling with that relationship. Maybe you're on this journey back to Him. And we hope that this is a safe place for you to come and to seek Him and to ask those questions and all of those things. That's important. But we, we feel the divide. When you hurt one another, you feel it. And you don't have to say a word. If you're in a significant relationship or if you have a roommate, you know something's wrong, even without anything being said, because there's a divide. And Jesus crossed that divide. And that's one of the principles we've been talking about in this series, is that he went out of his way and to cross that divide, to go through that gap, is sometimes the hardest thing to do. And we feel this gap and this divide in our culture, in our world right now. And it's so hard. We, we, we long for us to bridge it, but we don't know how to do that. Well, Jesus showed us. And he gave up what he wanted for the sake of the other. Why would we do that? Well, because it brings about reconciliation, restoration, and joy. And so life is the result. Life is the result. And Jesus showed us that it is worth it. So in our relationships, we're learning to emulate this. So this is where we've been. What we've talked about, and last week I talked a little bit about how that practically looks in a marriage relationship, learning to cross the divide with one another, to be friends, and to, to make that commitment, to submit to one another. So I, I say all these things. So as, as I've talked about these principles, uh, for us to really live that out, to really take this to heart and to understand it and to do it is, is, is really different. It's, it's different than saying, okay, to hear all these things, and I, I want you to have great relationships. I long for you to build the foundations for a future marriage or your current marriage, wherever you're at, or just in your, your life. And, your, you know, if you're like, I'm never going to be married, great. I want you to have great relationships as God has called us to, to experience community and to experience meaning and purpose. But to actually understand what everything I just said does, like to take those steps, is vastly different than just, just hearing it. Because how we naturally, uh, you know, think about life. So I'll get into that. But to set this up, uh, in, my, in my very young years, it was Christmas. And uh, I have two older sisters and one younger sister. And there's, there's one Christmas I distinctly remember. And it's really the ones you remember the most are usually the ones that either went, like, incredible, like the big thing happened, or something went wrong. <laughs> you usually remember distinctly the ones that went wrong. So we're opening gifts, and my younger sister was opening one. And her name is Wendy. My name is Wayne. And so there's, there's similarities, and I can see, like, on the present that something was written maybe, you know, haphazardly, whatever, from a sleepy parent the night before, or Santa, whoever wrote the name down, um, you know, that could get confusing. And so she opens this gift, and she loves it. It's, like, perfect for her. It's just a little stuffed animal dog. And I remember it either because there's pictures or just because of the moment. But it had these big, long ears, and it was super cute. And she hugged it, and she was so excited. The problem was, was that was it a gift for her. And it was actually a gift that was given to me. I think we were like six years old, very young. And it was for me, but I didn't know it at the time. So, you know, in the chaos of opening presents, my younger sister opens this, and she's so excited, but it's not for her. Now, this is an interesting predicament to be in as a parent, 
because my mom and dad are sitting there, and they suddenly see this unfolding. I have no idea, and that that was actually for me. And so what do you do? Uh, you know, my, my mom then, you know, see this. She could have been like, oh, great, I'm so glad that you like it, and just be done, because nobody would be the wiser. But I don't know, like, you know, kids are probably counting, and I'm sure they had so many gifts, and, but she made the decision in that moment to correct the mistake. So she proceeds to tell my younger sister that she opened the wrong gift, and it was actually for me. And so in this joyous moment, you know, you're trying to, you know, typically parents are trying to create joy in the perfect whatever. She lays this bomb on my younger sister. You know, if I'm six, she's like four and a half. I don't know. Maybe I'm seven and she's, who knows? We're young. And she proceeds to bawl her eyes out. And then I'm like super excited, you know, like suddenly this thing that she loved is now mine and I get it. And like, because, you know, when you're that young, if you have, if you have kids or nieces or nephews, you know, like we're so selfish. And I don't have compassion on her. I just want what's in it for me. And so this thing is for me. And so it's like Christmas is ruined. She's so sad and it's not happy anymore. Because, you know, my mom broke the peace, and there's probably a reason for that, or maybe we're just, you know, more harsher back then. But, man, happiness ruined this perfect moment. And, and I remember it so distinctly. Now, the funny thing about stuffed animals is anybody can play with them, like I'm sure she did. Uh, so in the long run, she was probably okay. But it's hard when we, we, we want to be happy and we experience that, and then we don't like how do you how do you deal with that and so whenever you and I we're still like this by the way <laughs> like we're pursuing things that make us happy and so usually usually whenever we hear Jesus's words or we hear principles or and I start to teach you about marriage we do this from a premise most likely if I know you and you know me we do this from a premise that God wants me to be happy, that I want me to be happy, and so I am looking for this. And so we hear these words that when we hear them, it's through that filter and that lens that he is wanting me to be happy, and so we listen to it in that way. Why? Because that's what I want. It's what, I, it's what you're looking for, and it's actually how all of us usually start our journey with God. If you look in the Scriptures, you know, the disciples, those who became his closest followers and ended up giving their lives for Christ after he gave up his life, their initial pursuits of him were mostly selfish. They were in it for what they wanted. They kind of, they had, some of them were that had agendas. Some of them had political agendas that they, they were like, this is the Messiah and he's come to do these things. And eventually it was completely different than they thought. And Jesus knew that. And so there's always a journey and a starting point with him. But we have to be careful because then we think that that is God's pursuit of you and me. And I just want to say that this is deep, that this is deep. So I just want to make this statement today. And because it's so countercultural, and we don't always hear this, but God's primary goal for you is not for you to be happy. 
Now, I say his primary goal is not for you to be happy. My primary goal <laughs> is for me to be happy. But I want to say this up front because, number one, it grabs our attention. <laughs> but God's purpose for you isn't just to make you happy. Now, if you're a parent, you may understand this. Hopefully you understand this, that we don't always make decisions for our kids based on what they want in the moment. Now, this is harder in our culture today, but we do what's best for them. And their happiness in that moment isn't what's best for them. They just want to run free. If you run free in the sidewalks here, eventually there's a curb in the street. And you stop that. You stop these things that we think will make us happy. So guess what? God's purpose and primary goal for you isn't for you to be happy. <clears throat> now, it's interesting because we think that, and, I, and, and, and whether you've even thought about this deeply or not, we kind of pursue the world through that lens. But it affects us deeply when we experience trials or when we experience suffering or something doesn't go wrong that doesn't match up with who God is. But for us, everything goes through the filter of this. So the things that you are pursuing, whether it is a relationship or your job or a promotion or a financial goal, or whatever it may be, we filter it through God, you know, God is wanting this to happen. So, if it goes good, then it's like, okay, God is in this, and He's for me, and this happens, and then it's great. But what if it doesn't go good? That's when we struggle. And so, you might not give God that area of your life. You're like, you know what? I, I'll just take, I'll just run this from here. <laughs> I tried, maybe you tried His way, or what you thought was His way, Maybe it was pursuing someone. You're like, you know what? That didn't work. I want to pursue it this way. We don't fully trust him. And so we sing words about your way is the best way, but then we go a different way. Or many times we walk away from him. We walk away because the foundation was upon us being happy, and eventually that won't be the case. But God loves you deeply. He knows who you are. He knows how you were made. And so his words are always leading us to the best pathways of your life. The scriptures say that. And so I hear, when I read the Psalms, God wants to guide you on the best pathways of your life. And so what I think, and I do this, it's not, I'm, you know, I'm in this boat with you, is what makes me happy, and I pursue that. But that's not always the best pathway for you. His primary goal is to lead you to what is best for you, what will bring you to his beauty, to experience him, to being full, to, being, to, to grow. He's leading you on a journey. He cares about who you are, and he knows what matters most. And that's what he's going to say and to lead you to. As a pastor, I read a lot in culture, and so many times I come across articles or just stories of people where someone comes out and says, well, Jesus just wants us to be happy. He wants us just to love one another and all these different things and, 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 and not say anything hard to one another. Basically, that's what a summary would be. 
And every time I'm like, I don't think they've actually read Jesus' words because when you do look at his words, they're really tough. And we've talked about that at different times throughout the year. But Jesus' words to us should be challenging. At some point, it challenges who you are, and it's hard to actually hear. And when you read Jesus' story, there are those that were around him that saw him perform miracles and walked away. Because what he said was so hard to take. Because they were in it just for what they wanted. And eventually, it conflicted with them. And so when we see what he asks us to do, it's not easy. And so why do we do it? Because for those of us who say, I'm a Christ follower, we have found this treasure, that his words are true, and they lead us to life, that he has the best pathways for us. Excuse me. So I just want to start with that premise that he's shown us that he's leading you and I to lasting joy. He's leading you to purpose. He's leading you to meaning. He longs for you to build a foundation that will last. He's longing to bring you into a, a rock that you stand on. We sing that today. He's the rock that I stand on. I have found this joy and purpose in him that is greater than anything else that I could find or pursue. And this is what he's calling you and I to do. But it is so opposite many times from our world and especially our culture now that I'm just going to bring it to the, the surface because we don't always see it. So listen to these words. There was those who were just like you and me. They came to Jesus, and this is recorded in Matthew 22. And they were basically like, hey, what is the best thing? What's the greatest commandment? They are like, what's going to make us happy? And so they come to Jesus and they say, what is most important? And this is what he says. This is Matthew 22, 36 to 39. So they say to him, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your What's interesting is that they talked about a command, but that's not, doesn't actually sound like a command. This is actually relational. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so he calls us relationally, but he's called us outwardly focused. I don't know if you see or notice that, but what's the, the best way for us, the greatest commandments of how to live is to love God, to pour out towards him, and to love others. Love your neighbor. In, in that time and day and age, the word neighbor would have meant those that you come into contact in your life, not actually the person who's in the door next to you. Or the above you or below you, however that works for you. It might be all of that. Uh, it's not just those neighbors. It's not just the person on the block or in the building, but those you live your life with and encounter. And so 
throughout Scripture, we constantly see this, that God is calling us to live outwardly, to love others, and to give up ourselves for the other. That is what brings us the greatest meaning. It's this place where that is what real love is, a sacrificial, outward-giving love. How you want to be treated, you treat others. And you've heard that, that's words from Jesus. And so he says, these are the greatest commandments, and they're equal, and they work together. And so this is interesting because as we grow up, some of you think, you know, God is, God is in the way of happiness because we hear these words. And so Jesus is coming to you and I and saying, no, no, God provides the way to happiness. That if you learn to focus on him, he is greatest, he's the greater thing that you could pursue that will actually last. And so to resist God is actually to resist ultimate happiness. Because ironically enough, him not having happiness as the prim- primary goal for you, he wants you to be happy, but he knows and when you walk towards the best pathways for your life, it will lead you to happiness and really a greater joy. So he's called us to this outward way of life that's very different for you and I. And this impacts everything. So it impacts a marriage relationship. It impacts those that you are around. It, it, it's how we love in this church family. The joys that we experience, the reasons why many of us love coming back and being part of this, being part of this church family every week is because so many gave up of their time to emulate Christ, to love you today. Many came early this morning to serve you and to set things up and to get it ready. We are always impacted in a positive way when someone gives up what they want for the sake of others. Now, another thing to think about when it comes to our happiness and a factor that we need to consider on this discussion is the word that we call sin. Sin, and you can put this up on the screen. Sin impacts us. Now, we think the word sin in a very religious context. Um, but think about it this way. It's, it's about what you think other people shouldn't do or what you shouldn't do. <laughs> Let's just start there as a common denominator. For our sake of argument right now, you can pick the standard for what you follow, so a right and wrong. Now, this is not what God does, but I'm just saying, even when you pick the standard, someone violates that, and they hurt you, and you feel that separation, you feel that divide. There's something that you see in culture, whether it's a politician or some celebrity <laughs> or your boss or you, if you're a parent, you set rules to your kids, and you turn right around, and you break those very same things. You might eventually realize that the very things that they're, you're telling them to stop, they were doing because they observed you doing them. That's a crazy place to get to as a parent, by the way. But sin separates. It separates you from God. It separates you from others. And it separates you from your Self. Sin separates. You've made, you may have said comments like, if I ever do this, I can never live with myself. Or you did fill in the blank 
And now you have regrets. You feel the divide. And so what we do is we substitute. Sin separates by substituting. And we do it with pleasure for fulfillment, things for people. We substitute images for intimacy. We substitute experience for exclusivity. We'll substitute the immediate, the urgent for what we want now, and we'll sacrifice the ultimate. We will substitute it with self-expression instead of self-control. And we blow it up because we feel the divide and it hurts. And we've made terrible mistakes. All of us have done that. And we've hurt ourselves and we've hurt other people. And so sin, even when you define it, much less what God has said and what Christ has shown us, sin makes this happy promise. And we go all in. And that's why so many times you repeat these things and you're like, how could I do that again? How could I be so dumb? Because it, it makes the happy promise. It shows you what you really want and you long for, but it can't keep it. It can't keep the promise. Sin ultimately is not your friend. It brings death. It brings death to a relationship in the moment. It kills things. It kills something inside of you, and it's usually, mostly, relationships. And when sin wins, you lose. I lose, and it's a divide. James speaks of this, how this is found in James 1.15. He talks about desire, the temptations that we see. And after the desire has conceived, he says, it gives birth to sin. And when sin and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Wow, well, that escalated quickly. Every This is a fascinating statement. Every little sin is longing to be the biggest version of itself. So anger eventually wants to be murder. That's what it longs for. Jesus showed us that. He's like, you've heard it said, do not murder. But he says, if you are angry against one and someone, like you have, you have you've committed murder in your heart. Jesus actually raised the bar to an impossible standard, but he showed us something so incredible. That every little sin, if you allow it, it just wants to go and to go. And if you look at someone who eventually commits murder, like that's where it started. It started with anger. It's crazy. And so lust leads to adultery. If you just let it and you fuel it and you fuel it, it leads to these big, giant moments. And so he says that when it is full grown, it gives birth to death. So... When we substitute, when we opt for sin, we undermine, we actually undermine our happiness. And we ha underline the happiness of, of those closest to us. And this stands in tar stark contrast to what we think should happen. And so the very things that you and I chase that we think bring make, make us happy, that I want to make me happy because I still believe these lies and I still chase them, they ultimately actually enslave me. I think they'll bring me freedom, but they ultimately do not. So, if we make happiness our foundation, which is what everything around us is now saying that we should do, ultimately it cannot deliver 
forgive. And so it's elusive. We chase it and we chase it. And so this one thing didn't happen. And so we keep pursuing the next thing and the next thing. And this brings us back to Christ's word. That when he comes to us and he speaks to us, he knows us. He knows who you are. And he knows where this will eventually lead. And he wants to build a foundation for you. And that will ultimately actually make you happy. But it's different than what we think. Happiness as your purpose, as the ultimate goal for you, eventually is empty because you have to chase it. It doesn't always last. So we need, you need a foundation that will. And that's why I say it's so important to consider Christ's word. Because when things go wrong, when we experience the death of things, the brokenness, we're not alone or abandoned or desperate or hopeless. James speaks to this duality. Again, in James 4, uh, he says this. He goes, what causes quarrels and fights among you? This is James 4, 1 through 3. What causes quarrels and fights among you? What makes you get in an argument? Why are we so angry at each other in the world? Well, he says, don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have. I want that stuffed animal dog that I thought was mine. And so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. This is fascinating. Like we... We want something, and so if happiness is our goal, we have to have that. And you will compromise to get it. So, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. We got stuck there, but that's what it says. We're only what will give you pleasure. And James is so brilliant here because he shows us the heart of this. Eventually, if happiness is your foundation, you're actually angry. Do you notice how our culture has gotten a little bit more and more angry each year and each year? We're just not satisfied. We have so much. We are the most comfort-oriented culture than probably ever in history, and yet we're miserable. Isn't that interesting? And so, I want to call us back to what we said we saw earlier. Jesus is calling you and I to a better way, a better foundation, which is to love God and to love others. And Jesus is showing you greater meaning. Greater meaning. And why is this important? It's because it holds up in all things, Jesus' death and resurrection, he came and he gave up his life. He did what he is asking you and I to do. That he was in heaven in perfect unity with, with the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he, in his love for us, gave that up to sacrifice himself for you and I. God himself, in himself came. God the Father 
gave and, and, and experienced the loss of his son, the breaking of relationships, and it was in a painful pain I can't imagine. Jesus, the son, experienced suffering and ridicule on our behalf and experienced some of the greatest pain. So the father knows what it's like to lose a son, to lose someone in a tragic way. The son, being in a strange relationship, took our sins upon himself as the perfect sacrifice, enduring the most horrific evil that we can imagine, and ultimately actually experiencing death. The God of this world did that so that we could have joy ahead. He gave up his happiness for what would lie ahead, which was to free us up from the penalty of death. So death no longer has victory over us. And this is the hope that Christians have. And it is the best answer for the world and for suffering that we could ever find. It holds up in all things. When you blow it, when you screw up, Christ is there. When others fail you, when others fail you, if happiness is your goal, your world comes crashing down. But if we stand upon this hope that we have in Christ, when the world comes crashing down, when our jobs don't work out, and when relationships fail, when other things fall through, and when we let others down, we're not on the hook because Christ has come to forgive us from that, He's come to be the one that is the ultimate one. And his death, and especially his resurrection, shows that we have life and hope in all things. And that even in death we win. It no longer has power over you. So when tragedy hits, when death comes, and especially when things don't work out, God isn't against us. He's, in fact, leaning in to these moments. If God is just about making you happy when things work out, you will abandon him. But when you understand that he came to give up his life so when things don't work out that you have hope in all things, you know that you can lean on him. And that's why we sing, he's the rock that I stand on. The one that I'm sure of is Jesus. We know this because we've, we've seen his death and his resurrection. And we know that it's true. We know that we have hope. Because things don't work out. Others do let you down. You screw up. There's sin in the world, and that's why we need him. And that's why Jesus said these words, and I'll end with this, John 16, 33. He says, I have told you these, this, told you these things so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. This is Jesus' words. He didn't promise that everything's going to be great. No, he says, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. One day, he will make it right. And we don't fully understand it all now, but we know that he one day will see it. And we can trust him. And so that is our hope in Christ.
and the foundation for your marriage. <laughs> You're like, wait, we're talking about marriage, right? Are hopeful relationships. Because your married partner will let you down. In your marriage, you need the hope of Christ to lean into. In your relationships, when your hopes and dreams are there, you always have Christ. That is your foundation. And when we understand that, we give our lives to him. And that's the call, is what is your ultimate foundation? To love God and to love others, do you have that security in Christ? You need him. I'd love to talk with you about that, what it means to follow him. And that's the journey you're invited into. And for our relationships, for our marriages, and for our life, and for our challenges, and for the joys, we can celebrate and we can have joy because we know of who Christ is. We don't have to be afraid of that. We don't have to be afraid of the suffering because he went through that for us. He's with us. And that is real hope. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your words to us. I pray today that you help us to consider the foundation that we have in you. It seems opposite to my heart, but I know that it will lead to joy. I pray that we would trust you and that you would be our hope in all things, in all relationships. We thank you and love you and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.